Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to To The Point. I hope you guys are all doing well today. We are just a few hours away from kickoff from the first Thursday night football on Amazon. If you weren't aware, Thursday night football, the rights have changed. They've gone from the NFL Network slash Fox to Amazon. It's now Thursday night football is going to be on Amazon Prime. However, I did learn this for people that watch games on TV, don't know how to stream. The game will be on TSN, so you do not have to go on a computer. You don't have to live stream if you got a smart TV. It will be on TSN. I did not know this until about early this morning. So that is how that's going to go. I, I'm, I'm interested to see the product. I'll get into that side of the business view as the podcast goes on. But it's on Amazon. Al Michaels is now doing Thursday Night Football with Kirk Herbstreet, who, if you're not familiar with Herbie, is one of the most knowledgeable people in all of football, if you ask me, he does a phenomenal job on college game day and calling college football games every Saturday night with Chris Fowler. They they are one of the best in the business in that booth. So I'm looking forward to seeing the chemistry of Herbie and with Al Michaels. He's a very competitive guy. He's got a great book that you can read that I've, I've gotten through uh, recently. So that is what's coming up. Chargers, Chiefs. Great game, one you don't want to miss this year, and we're going to get to it in just a minute. But today, I want to start with another story about an athlete coming and going, and that would be Roger Federer, the great, one of the all-time greatest tennis players. And that's why today's episode is titled End of an Era. Again, we just went through this a couple weeks ago. The world of tennis lost Serena Williams, the greatest female tennis player of all time. And now, just a few short weeks later, although this felt like a retirement from two years ago, Roger Federer announced this morning that after next week's Labor Cup, which is in Boston, he will be walking away from professional tennis, from majors. He's done. He's retiring from the sport. And it is an end of an era because my whole life I got to see Roger Federer and I got to see Serena Williams play. From when I started watching the sport until now, they dominated the field. They were the best in the world. They got competition, Serena less than, than Roger Federer, with Novak pushing through, with Rafael Nadal being right there in lockstep with, with Roger Federer. So there was always this push and pull of who's better, who do you favor, these type of conversations. But Roger Federer is leaving the sport better than when he walked into it. He carried, helped carry, 20 years of male tennis that was the greatest we'll ever see. You get to see Federer. You get to see Nadal. You get to see Djokovic go head-to-head-to-head. Great battles, great Grand Slam finals that you'll never forget. And something I give Roger Federer a lot of credence to, this is more growing up as a fan of the sport, less now that I'm doing this and appreciate people that are open with the media. Roger Federer was class personified. He was Rolex. He was Nike. He was the the representative of Nike tennis. He was the equivalent to Tiger Woods, except he was classy and he didn't cheat on his wife. 
That was the difference with Roger Federer. He was what Nike kind of hoped for. Tiger was so big that it didn't matter that he all had all these controversies, that he had all these bad public meltdowns, you know, the over the uh, the drugs and the drinking. It didn't matter because he was Tiger effing Woods. Where you look at what what happened with with Roger, he was just a straight and narrow guy. He came from Switzerland, humble beginnings, worked his ass off, broke through, and became one truly one of the great tennis players of all time. I see online it's general sadness on Twitter. I get that to an extent, but I also am of the opinion that Roger Federer should have retired two, three years ago. Roger Federer hasn't won a major in over five and a half years. Roger Federer hasn't been relevant when it comes to winning four or five years. He hasn't played. He's had injury after injury. His knees are are completely done. And just hanging around a sport hoping to come back to make a run, I mean, it's the same thing with Serena. It's time to go. To me, it's not sad when somebody that should retire retires. When Tom Brady walks away or he unretires for the upteenth time, it's not a sad story because he got to do everything he wanted to do. The sad stories are the players that get injured or have uh, something happen personally where they don't get to fill out their journey. They don't get to finish what they started. That can happen. An athlete doesn't get to, can I get to this place? Could I have done this? But we don't know if they will or not. I think of Robin Soderling. This is a name I'm pulling out of my rear end in tennis. He played against Rafael Nadal in 2009. Soderling defeated Rafael Nadal in the fourth round of the French Open. It was Rafa's first loss at Roland Garros. He only has three in his career. Robin Soderling is one of them. Fun fact. Soderling beat Nadal. Won the quarterfinal, won the semi. Lost to Roger Federer in straight sets in the 2009 French Open final. Roger Federer, that was the only time he won the French Open. But Soderling, after that, never got back to a Grand Slam quarter. It was out of tennis in the next year and a half. Injuries, mental health issues. That's a sadder story. Federer retiring, it's just, what more could he have done? Over 20 majors. The all-time current leader in ATP wins. Won a Labor Cup. Team Switzerland. Bred some, a great tennis player in Stan Wawrinka, who's a three-time major champion in his own right. That's 23 majors from the Swiss in the last 20 years. It's more than any other country, I might add, on the men's side, combining. That's an impressive feat. He did a lot for the sport. He did, I think of the bad boys of tennis. You think of John McEnroe. I don't think Bjorn Bjork was a very good guy. People might say Jimmy Connors, but it was an era of heels. It was an era of, do we really like this guy? We like him because he's American, but would I want to hang out with him? Would I want to have a beer with this guy? He's kind of giving me a sketchy vibe. Roger Federer was like, I want to, I want to marry him. Every woman loved Roger Federer. My mother was so enamored with Roger Federer. I don't think she'll mind me saying that. She loved him. He brought something different. He's not Djokovic, who's pompous, who's an asshole, 
who thinks he's smarter than everybody else. Roger Federer wasn't every man that was handsome. Roger Federer was Ryan Reynolds. He could crack a joke. He could not take himself too seriously, yet be dominant at what he does. Ryan Reynolds is a great actor. Deadpool, all that stuff, the, the joking, the swearing, I, I'm all in. Roger Federer was an everyman, but he was in great shape, and he played great tennis. But you watch him, you're like, well, okay, Roger Federer, he's got great long hair, like somebody else I know, and he can serve a tennis ball. But what, what else? He's got two sets of twins. His wife is attractive, but not over, you know, over the top. She, he seems like he met her when he was very young, and I believe that's the story. It wasn't, uh, I met her at the bar when I was 32 and she was 21. Or, in DiCaprio's case, 19. There, there's a different... He just, he wasn't the star that maybe you think he would be. That he could have been, quite easily. That's the easy way to go. He leaves the game one of the best. And I think a lot of fans will remember him as the best, which is fine. Every fan's entitled to their opinion. Is he the best? Of course not. The greatest tennis player of all time is Rafael. Have that as my opinion until Djokovic wins more majors, which he might. Then I'll have to say Djokovic. Tennis is an individual sport. It's very easy to measure greatness because how many do you have? Well, I... People make the argument that LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan. People make the argument that Michael Jordan's better than Bill Russell. Bill Russell's got 11 titles. Jordan's got six, but most people think Michael Jordan's the greatest basketball player of all time. Now, the new generation think LeBron is the greatest player of all time. LeBron's been to 10 finals. He's lost six of them. But it's hard to, to measure who's the best when it comes to championship in team sports because that's what it is. It's a team sport. You are relying on others for your success. Tennis, it's you. It's you against the other. It's a you against the opponent, just like golf. Tiger Woods will be looked at as the greatest ever. I'm not so sure. How many majors does he have? Does Jack Nicholas have more? I still think he does. Tiger, at every opportunity to win, has, met, has many or more than Jack Nicklaus, he didn't. Individual sports, it's easy to measure who's the greatest, in my opinion. It's about winning. That's it. Did you win more than your opponents? Federer will go down as a top three tennis player. I think he'll finish three. Because he can, he's retiring with less majors than Djokovic and less majors than Rafael Nadal. That's defended. That can't be argued. He can't win anymore. He's retiring. I'll miss Roger Federer, but I've been accepting. I've prepped for this for a long time because he's been out of the game. He hasn't been at the forefront. He hasn't been playing professional tennis. So I'm happy for him. Hopefully he stays in the game. You see him at events. You see him at Wimbledon where he's beloved. 
and they can celebrate him at the Labor Cup or they can do something for him at the next major to show you know what he meant to the sport and, and everything like that. But I'll repeat, this isn't a sad day. The day when things like that, when retirements happen, when, when you suffer a loss in a family, it's much less upsetting when the person that dies lived a full life. Am I wrong? When your grandmother who's 90 years old passes away, I think it's way more upsetting than when you have a grandmother that's 70 that didn't, that got to live a good life, but was healthy and relatively young. When you suffer a loss, when it's a young person, it's more upsetting than an adult in most cases because they're so young. They didn't get to get into their life. They didn't get a footing. They didn't get to experience everything that life has to offer. And I, I'm not a Mr. PhD here. I don't get, I'm not a psychologist, but that's the way I approach it. Better hell of a career, my friend. I thoroughly enjoyed watching you. I still think back to your match against Andy Roddick at Wimbledon. It was in the final. This was 2009, I believe. Might have been 2009, 2008. Andy Roddick and Federer played. It was, it was 2018 in the fifth. Federer just beat him. Roddick gave him everything he could handle. That was the closest the U.S. A U.S. male came to winning a major since Andy Roddick did it in 2003. That was a phenomenal, phenomenal match. I also think to his match against Juan Martin Del Potro in the U.S. Open final. That was in 2009. 2009 was a big year for Federer. He ended up losing to Del Potro. Del Potro's one major title. Another five-set incredible match back and forth. Sometimes it's the losses that you remember. I, I remember Soderling beating Nadal. That was a big, big deal. Del Potro beating, beating Federer. Federer beating Chilich in another long Wimbledon final that went five sets. That's another match that comes to mind for me. Incredible stuff. You put on a great product for over 20 years. Nobody can take that away from you, and I think you'll be loved forever. So thank you, Fed, for what you did for tennis and what you did for all of us, the tennis fans that got to enjoy you for that period of time. Thursday Night Football, as I mentioned off the top, Chargers versus Chiefs. What a game we have in store tonight. This is truly one of the best games of the year on paper when it comes to two teams because I expect both teams to make the playoffs and after watching week one, both teams look pretty good. Chargers, week one, three interceptions, three sacks of Derek Carr. Herbert did not turn the ball over on offense. He threw three touchdown passes himself. Chiefs, five touchdown passes, three sacks of Kyler Murray, scoop and score. Both teams are coming on a high and both teams are coming in a little banged up. Keenan Allen, the top wide receiver for the Los Angeles Chargers, is inactive tonight. He hurt his hamstring midway through uh, week one. He's not available. He will be questionable for next week. Harrison Butker, the field goal kicker for the Kansas City Chiefs, one of the most accurate kickers in the NFL, was injured in last week's game. He is not available tonight. The Chiefs signed Matt Amendola, 
who has kicked for the Houston Texans last season. He's bounced around. The NFL has been cut a number of times. He was signed to their active roster, so he will be the kicker tonight. Also, they have Justin Reed, the, the safety, who they signed in the offseason from the Houston Texans. He is the replacement. He's the emergency kicker. He hit a field goal last week. He hit an extra point, and he also got a touchback, if you can believe it. So the Chiefs have depth at the kicking position. I look at tonight very simple. Both these teams are elite. They both have elite quarterbacks. Justin Herbert, rookie season, the most touchdown passes by a rookie in the history of the National Football League. You had Patrick Mahomes in year two throw 50 touchdowns, 5,000 yards, which has only been done four times, and win the MVP. Then Mahomes wins the Super Bowl the next year. So you're looking at the timeline. Justin Herbert, who is my MVP pick, is looking to get onto that plane with Patrick Mahomes. He's looking to get great numbers, lead his team to potentially getting the first division title, getting the Chargers to the playoffs for the first time in his career, and seeing that progression. He had a great year last year, but they're looking for more. The game tonight is at Arrowhead. It is not in Los Angeles, and Arrowhead is one of the toughest stadiums to play in in all of football. The crowd is loud. It is their home opener because they were in Arizona last week. I'm going to double check that. I believe the game's at Arrowhead Stadium. But I'm going to just double check that for you all because I'm 95% sure. But you can always, yeah, the game is in Kansas City. So that is the game tonight in Kansas City. Arrowhead, it's loud. It's hard to hear in there. So it'll be difficult for Herbert to get signals to his team. But both these teams have a major strength. That is the offensive line. Looking at these two teams, for the Chiefs, you got Creed Humphrey, who they, they got out of Oklahoma, one of the best centers in the NFL. Joe Tooney, they brought over last year from the Patriots. He's been fantastic. They also got Orlando Brown Jr., who is also one of the best at, <clears throat> at his position at left tackle. Then, for the Chargers, Rashawn Slater, left tackle out of Northwestern, has been fantastic so far in his career. They got Matt Filer on the left side, and Corey Lindsley, who they signed from Green Bay, who was one of the best centers in the NFL, period, for over a decade now. A massive strength for both teams. To me, the winner of tonight's game will be the pass rush that can defeat both, both of these great offensive lines. On one side, you have Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack for the Chargers. Khalil Mack had three sacks in week one for his Chargers debut. Joey Bosa was getting doubled a lot, which led to Khalil Mack getting some, some good looks. He still has a lot of gas in that tank. Khalil Mack's still a great football player. He doesn't need to get out of Chicago where it's just it's all negativity. It's never good there. And he just looks rejuvenated. He looks excited to be a Charger. For the Chiefs, it's Chris Jones, it's Frank Clark. Both these guys can play. They're both older veterans. There's also George Karloftis, who's a rookie, who they're going to need to step up this season. Well, I'm, I'm curious to see how he plays tonight and what kind of impact he can have on this game. But to me, it's about the pressure that these teams can apply. Because Mahomes had all the time in the world last week, and he diced up that Arizona Cardinal team. The Cardinals look pathetic. They look like they couldn't play. 
and they didn't have any answer for Patrick Mahomes. He fired touchdowns. He threw one to Kelsey. He threw one to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He threw a touchdown pass to Fortson. He did whatever he wanted to do. And it's up to Bosa and Khalil Mack to make his life more difficult. Because something I saw last week that was impressive from Mahomes that we didn't see a whole lot last year was his acceptance to throw checkdown passes. He threw the ball to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire if he had trouble, if there was pressure that got through. He would throw a swing pass to Juju, Juju Smith-Schuster where he could get blocks to get the 10 yards for the first down. He'd throw a ball a slant in the middle of the field and not have to throw down the field. And that's why I look at this team and say, the loss of Tyree Kill might benefit the Kansas City Chiefs more because the deep threat is not going to be there as much as it has in the past. When teams want to play two high-shell safeties, Patrick Mahomes, is it's very difficult for him to throw a deep ball because they're going to be double, triple covered in the secondary. With no Tyree Kill, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is a burner. He can run down the field. He has good jets. But he's not Tyree Kill because nobody is. So I'm not saying every, every pass has to be a check down Charlie. We saw a number of throws last week where he would throw 20 yards down the field to, to Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey would try to break it off for more yards. Those are the type of passes that will kill a team over time. The Chargers, tonight, it's unknown if J.C. Jackson, their biggest signing of the offseason from the New England Patriots, will be able to play. He did not play in week one. He had surgery 22 days ago. Asante Samuel Jr. is on the other side, a straight baller. I love Asante Samuel Jr. just like his old man. You also got Derwin James in that secondary who is the elite of the elite. So the Chargers have a good secondary. They do. Their linebackers are the weakness of this team. Kenneth, Ken, uh, Kenneth Murray Jr. the third is he's a defensive player at the University of Oklahoma. Nine times out of ten, defensive players drafted from the Big 12 aren't that good. I can simplify it to that. You look at guys from Oklahoma, Texas, they get drafted defensively. Their defense is sucked in college. They're likely not going to be that great defensive players in the pros. That's just normally the way it goes. You draft offensive players from the Big 12. Look at Kyler Murray. Look at Baker Mayfield. Look at Hollywood Brown. I could go more, but I won't. Chuba Hubbard, Oak State. That's normally what happens with Big 12 players. In this case, Mahomes doesn't have the option. We'll see if the secondary can hold up. But what I'm happy, what I think the Chiefs really have about them that's great is if they want to double Travis Kelsey, you still have options. Juju Smith-Schuster looked really good last week. You have MVS. You got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Jarek McKinnon is a great player out of the backfield. I also think they can line him up in the slot on certain plays because he's got still got that burst in his game. So they, they got weapons on this team. They also got Sky Moore, their draft pick, who is, is an interesting study i want to see how they use him moving forward in this offense because there's so many bodies to go around that that's what the chiefs have in store where where on chargers i mentioned no keenan allen so it's going to be up to mike williams jordan palmer who sorry joshua palmer who looked really good he caught a touchdown last week he's a guy in the slot that can do some damage they also have jalen guyton who steps in when there are injuries. He's had big games in the past. You also have Gerald Everett at the tight end position. 
that did catch a touchdown last week. So he can be used in the short intermediate passing game. I think he's more of a third down receiver when, when Justin Herbert needs to find a guy. I think Gerald Everett can bring in those catches. Both these quarterbacks are elite. They don't make many mistakes. And in, in particular, in clean pockets, they're going to make a good throw nine out of 10 times. But tonight's an opportunity for the Chargers to make a statement. The Chargers beat the Chiefs last year, but it was in Los Angeles. It was a home game. It's a big win, but it's a divisional game, and you're at home. You should win that game if you're a good team, which the Chargers are. If you can go in there week two and defeat the Kansas City Chiefs, that is a big win. That is a statement win, and it puts yourself on the map. Now, do I expect the Chargers to win tonight? I don't. I like I like the Chiefs. They were my Super Bowl pick. I saw I saw nothing from them last last week that scares me about them losing. Their defense looks solid. They gave up yardage, but it was in garbage time when the game was over and Mahomes didn't even play the fourth quarter. Chad Henney came in. It's just about who can win at the line of scrimmage. It's as simple as that for me. Can you can Khalil Mack make Joe Tooney's night tough. Does Orlando Brown at, le at left tackle get Joey Bosa and Joey Bosa just has a night where he defeats him and Patrick Mahomes is under fire? Maybe. Frank Clark had a good game last week. Chris Jones back at his normal position. These guys are still good players. To me, Chris Jones needed a rebirth. It's not on a new team, but it's back to his old position and he's given more freedom and he's given more of responsibility to be that big alpha dog for this Chiefs defense. Chief defense needs a test like this early in the year. They lost the Honey Badger. They lost Tredavious Ward. He's gone. They lost a number of key players on this defense, Daniel Sorensen, that were there for a number of years. They still brought back their defensive coordinator, and Steve Spagnola. But it's not a bad thing to get a good test in a week two. A division game, week two after an easy week one win for the Chiefs, a relatively easy week one win for the Chargers, although they already start their division schedule 1-0 as they beat the Raiders. It's good to get a test. For the Chiefs, you want to continue to prove that you are the class of the AFC West. You've won this division six years in a row. You were winning this division before Patrick Mahomes took a snap. Alex Smith was dominating this division. For the Chargers, give yourself start your, your season 2-0 with two big division wins. That is a statement. Justin Herbert, MVP would not be top of mind, but a win against Patrick Mahomes on the road, it doesn't hurt your resume earlier in the season. It doesn't hurt your stat line either. Mike Williams can be such an elite talent, and he is at times. Big receiver, he can, he's got a big catch radius. But there's also times where he just drops easy balls. He can't afford to do that tonight. He needs to be dialed in. He has to be aware that Keenan Allen is not out there to save his bacon. Don't re rely on Joshua Palmer. Don't rely on Jalen Guyton or Austin Eckler, who I think will have a big game tonight. I would go the over on total yardage for Austin Eckler. I think he'll be used tonight in the running game. And I also think we're going to see... Justin Herbert use him in the passing game because of no Keenan Allen. Plus, he's just such a great route runner. 
Put him against linebackers. That's advantage Eckler every day of the week. Same with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I thought he looked great last week, in particular in the passing game, where he's so fast on those wheel routes. He's a small little guy. He's shifty. He can be used more, and I think Mahomes will continue to use him this season. But what can you – what can you – Mike Williams needs to have a big game. I think the Chargers, as I mentioned, it's about their, their offensive line holding up and their pass rush being able to win, but it's also about Mike Williams being completely centered, focused, don't have stupid drops, don't take an unsportsmanlike penalty up here. Think about your opponent and think about what has to be done to win. Because Keenan Allen isn't – they're not going to double Keenan Allen. If you're going to bring safety help, it's going to be to Mike Williams. But sometimes Herbert might ask you to make a 50-50 contested catch in tight coverage because that's what he thinks the best option is. Both these quarterbacks are great. Both these teams are great. Both teams got good secondaries. Both teams got pretty decent pass rushers. I think the Chargers are a little better. Both teams have elite offensive lines. Either of these teams could represent the AFC in the Super Bowl, and that is not being hyperbolic. That's just a flat-out truth. We get to see these two teams play at least twice this year. Maybe they meet in the playoffs for a third time. Who knows? But we get to see these two teams meet twice. My recommendation, don't miss this game. Because you got two heavyweights that are ready to start throwing punches. Let's see who can absorb the most. That'll be the team that wins tonight. The line is Chiefs minus four. It's a tight line. I'm not entirely comfortable with it. I think the Chargers can absolutely cover this game, even though they're on the road. They're a good team. I have respect for them. But I'm going with the Chiefs tonight, minus four. I'm going to take the Chiefs at home. We're going to get more into our gambling tomorrow, as always. Big money. Matt Wright set to join us again. He will the next two weeks for sure. I'm going to try to continue to get have him on every Friday. We'll go through every game, every line of every game this weekend. Look at some player props. Look at college football. That's tomorrow, big money Friday. But I like the Chiefs tonight at home. I think it'll be a great game. I think both quarterbacks are going to ball out. But I got Mahomes being a little bit better. That home field advantage being a little, playing a factor for these Chiefs. And they're, they're going to squeak out with a win. I think the Char Herbert or the Chargers might turn the ball over one too many times and the Chiefs will take advantage of it. That's my prediction for tonight. I got Chiefs. I'm going to lay the points. Chiefs, minus four. Just going to make sure that is the line because I checked that this morning. That was that was the line for tonight's game. If you are listening, you know the line. Let me know. But I so this morning it was Chiefs minus four. If it was three, I might take the Chargers to cover if it was three. I think it could be a field goal game. Three would be a push. I can't see it. It would probably be three and a half. I still might take a cover of three and a half. At four, I'm going to take the Chiefs minus four. Let's go around the NFL. We got some injury news and notes that I want to lay on you guys. Let's start 
with the star, the Dallas Cowboys. We heard on Monday that Dak Prescott was going to have surgery on his injured thumb. That did happen. Scrape, uh, plates, screws put in there. And he's on the mend. But then Jerry Jones came out and said that Dak could be back as soon as four weeks from now. It was an initially six to eight week injury. Now he could be back in four four weeks, only missing four games. So that signal, well, maybe the Dallas Cowboys season is not over, even though I said on Monday the season was over before it started because their roster stinks. But nevertheless, Cowboy fans now are optimistic. People in the media, oh, the Cowboys aren't done, but it's just another story for people to scoop up the Cowboys. All I know is I listen to people that are experts when it comes to injuries and when it comes to playing quarterbacks. That's what I did yesterday. I listened to NFL Live after work. Physical therapist, she's the injury reporter, Stefania Bell, for the mothership. She came out and said, this doesn't sound right. It's a six to eight eight week injury. Sometimes you can't even throw after four to five weeks. Doesn't sound like that, okay? That's a doctor that I listened to. Not Jerry Jones, the doctor, not the, the, the fake one, not the bad owner doctor. Any kind of doctor Jerry Jones wants to label himself, I'm, that's not the one I'm taking the words from. Then Dan Arlovsky, who is one of the best analysts in all of the NFL, bar none. If you want to listen to, that, if you want to, listen to a football show that isn't to the point, because I, of course, listen to to the point. But if you want to listen to another show, Listen to NFL Live. It's on every day on TSN at 5 p.m. Tape it. Give it a watch. Dan Orlovsky, Ryan Clark, Mina Kimes, great show. I don't mean to do plugs, but I, it's a really informative show. Dan Orlovsky played in the NFL for 12 years. He said he had this injury. And he said he tried to come back early, but he could not throw. Had the same injury said even with that eight week, it was tough to throw. It wasn't easy to come back from this injury. So to me, what I got out of Orlovsky saying that is this injury is not an easy one to come back from. This injury is not something Dak Prescott's going to be able to play after four weeks. Jerry might think that. He might be selling a bill of goods. But to me, it's just it's nothing. It's a fake. It's a lie. It's Jerry trying to plead with the fan base, trying to plead with everybody that his Cowboys have a chance when they never did. The roster stinks. They weren't going to make it far. They weren't making the playoffs. I predicted that before the I'm standing by it. I don't think Dak Prescott is going to play after four weeks, after this four weeks after surgery. I don't think so. Cooper Rush this weekend. Cowboys are done. They make the playoffs. It's a miracle. Good for them if they do. It's a blessing in disguise that Dak Prescott got hurt because this team was not going to go anywhere, and they'll get a higher draft pick this year, and they'll be closer to being competitive next year. Maybe it won't be Dak Prescott throwing the balls, but we'll see. T.J. Watt, Pittsburgh Steelers, initially feared he had torn his pectoral. It's been it was uncovered that he did not. He will miss six weeks. Still a huge injury for the Steelers. Their next six games. Home to New England. Browns Thursday Night Football, they got the Jets, Bills, Bucks, and the Finns. He'll ret- potentially, he could return against Philly after this. 
I think there's some winnable games in there. I think the Steelers could win their next three games. New England, Browns, Jets, certainly. I think they could win those next three games. No gimmies. I think New England could beat the Steelers this weekend. But New England looked horrid in week one. Mac Jones is dealing with a back injury himself, likely to play, but who knows. Brown's got Jacoby Brissett. We'll, we'll see what the Steelers' defense looks like this week without T.J. Watt in the lineup. This doesn't kill the Steelers. He's as important as Dak Prescott is to the Cowboys. He's the leader of that defense. He's reigning defensive player of the year. Huge loss, but we'll see what Cam Hayward of Alex Highsmith can fill that void for the Steelers, at least in part, to keep this team competitive. But at the end of that, Bills, Bucks, Finns, that's a tough, that's a tough part of the schedule. I don't expect them to win. Lose to the Bills, certainly. Lose to the Bucks, certainly. The Finns, who knows? I still need to see more of them as we move forward. Also for the Steelers, Najee Harris hurt his foot in week one. He's a game time decision for this weekend. He did go on Sirius XM yesterday with the Mad Dog and say that he would be playing this weekend, but Mike Tomlin said that's not a guarantee. We're going to wait and see the best approach. And if there's a long-term injury risk, Najee Harris would not be suiting up for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Broncos got bad news. I mean, they lost to Seattle. That was bad news enough. They obviously, Nathaniel Hackett had to come out and admit that he screwed up kicking a 64-yard field goal. I give him credit for owning up to the fact that he screwed the pooch, that he completely fucked that up. But again, you did it. You're 0-1. You lost to Seattle. That's You can't lose that game. So now, star safety Justin Simmons is out a month for the Denver Broncos. It's not the end of the world, but he's still he's an all-pro twice. He's been a multiple-time pro bowler. He just got signed to a long extension. Justin Simmons is the real deal when it comes to that defense. In that secondary, it's Simmons, it's Patrick Sertan, Kareem Jackson, but their, their secondary is a strength of this team. Their next four games for Denver. They're home to Houston, home opener. They're home to the 49ers on Sunday Night Football. Then they go to the Raiders, and they got the Colts at home on a Thursday Nighter. So that's the next that's the next four games for the Broncos. Home to Houston, they should win that game. Again, after losing to Seattle, they should be motivated to play much better this weekend. Niners at home, it's a tough road game for the Niners. They look horrid in week one. But again, that's not an easy matchup. You got the Raiders, tough opponent, division game. And then you got the Colts, who knows? My Colts tied in week one against Houston. They, they have a lot to prove this weekend. They got, they're got they at Jacksonville this weekend. We'll talk about, me and Ryder will talk about that game tomorrow. But that's a big injury. Also, George Kittle did not practice yesterday for the 49ers. The, the great all-pro tight end did not play in week one. Doesn't look great for him playing this week either. And that's my biggest concern about the San Francisco 49ers. George Kittle being in the lineup is so important to them when it comes to the running game. They lost Elijah Mitchell for two months with an MCL sprain. He was a rookie last year, almost had 1,000 yards rushing, had a fantastic season. They need George Kittle to be in the lineup because he creates holes in the running game. It's going to be Jeff Wilson Jr. who's going to be their starting running back who hasn't proven anything, but 49ers running backs come out of nowhere and become stars. They also got Debo Samuel who had 52 yards rushing in week one. 
Trey Lance had 57 yards rushing. So again, they got two guys that aren't running backs that can can run the football effectively on this team. So George Kittle needs to open up lanes for these running backs, for Debo Samuel, for Trey Lance, Brandon Ayuk. To me, that is where their most important piece of this offense with a new quarterback sans Jimmy Garoppolo because he's on the bench. It's it's about Kittle opening up lanes and being the guy that they trust on to really start being creative, being a, a monster in this running attack so that Trey Lance doesn't have too much on his plate. They need him just to be Trey Lance, just to be a young quarterback, to learn, to figure things out, and then having the running game as his backdrop. He needs to get reps, needs to throw the ball accurately, but it's also about the running game being a big part of what they're doing when it comes to just having a successful football team in San Francisco this season. Kittle, it's about Trent Williams, and it's about the center and and right guard playing better. Alex Mack retired. That's a big loss that just kind of went underreported. They're They're missing key pieces. They need to start to gel and come together. These 40, they got Seattle this weekend, the 49ers. Don't, under, don't underestimate Seattle because they're going to play hard every game for Pete Carroll. Geno Smith wants to prove that he can play in this league. This is his 10th year in the league, his first, first time in a long time being a starting quarterback. And they got good mojo in Seattle. They, they feel like they can play. They beat the Broncos in week one. They'll come out confident again that they can pull off two upsets in two weeks. That's the NFL updates. We're going to talk more tomorrow about all of this. I have an NFL story that I'm going to finish with today because it's involving one of my least favorite players of all time for a number. I just, I got real, real hatred for this guy. We're going to wrap up the show today with that. We'll get to that in a little bit. Let's talk UFC for a moment, if you will. UFC, we saw UFC 279 last weekend. We're now in the countdown to UFC 280, which will be in Abu Dhabi at the end of October, October 22nd. Chemaev, sorry, not Chemaev. Um, we got Makachev versus Charles Oliveira for the lightweight title. That is going to be a hell of a fight. Also on that card, you got the Sugar Show, Sugar Sean O'Malley against Pewter Yawn, which should be a great tilt. I'm looking forward to the, to the card. It, it's they got some great fights on there, and you got Benil Darouche is going to fight on that card. It it's a stack stack card to say the least. This weekend we saw one of the most interesting, one of the most chaotic events in the history of the UFC, where they canceled a press conference because of that st- backstage fight. We had a man miss weight by eight pounds. And you had three fights change the day before the event happened. Kamzat Chemaev was eight pounds over the 170-pound weight limit. So he ended up fighting Kevin Holland, who he got into a backstage altercation with. Finished Holland quickly. We'll get to that in a second. Diaz, Nate Diaz, who was supposed to fight Chemaev, said, I'm not fighting that fat fuck. And he decided to fight Tony Ferguson in his last fight with the UFC and he ends up choking him out the guillotine. And then Yingling, who was screwed over a, a win over the weekend against D-Rod, Daniel Rodriguez, fought him at a catch weight. He won the fight, and it's one of the worst scorecards I've ever seen. I don't know how D-Rod won that fight. 
nevertheless, that's the way they score it. So, I just want to get into a few stories over this. I think the UFC had a part in changing all these fights and all this drama because they made the card way more interesting. I'll be honest with you. The card was a dud prior to all this. It didn't have a title fight. didn't have anybody you really wanted to see. It wasn't something that people, I think, wanted to buy. I'm going to because I'm a UFC fanatic and I have to buy it. Sports. You got to watch them, right? But I think the average family would be like, well, let's save our 65 bucks and we'll buy that card in October and we'll watch that fight in Abu Dhabi. Not a bad investment. But once you hear Kamzat Chemaev got into a fight and there's Diaz is going to fight Tony Ferguson, two of the legends of the sport, and Chemaev and Holland hate each other and they want to get in the ring, it creates anticipation. It creates buzz. You're like, well, these fights are way more entertaining. These fights are, are more captivating than the originals, which they were. The UFC needed something to change this card to make it more interesting, and they used Kamzat being overweight to do it. It was a September card that didn't have a great feel to it. There was nothing that drew you there. Nate Diaz fighting Chemayev. It was Chemayev that was going to murder Nate Diaz. That was going to be one of the biggest muggings in the history of the UFC. Because Kamzat is young, he's in his prime, and he's just built different. Nate Diaz is a 37-year-old man, and he looked every bit 37 in that fight against Tony Ferguson. It was a main event where both guys looked older than they were at 37. DC, Daniel Cormier said, Tony Ferguson's done. I, I don't disagree with him. Tony's took a ton of hits. He's an icon in the sport. But he just doesn't have it anymore. I thought he looked good against the fight against Chandler. I didn't see any of that against Diaz. I didn't see him being involved in the fight and having a close affair. It was just him taking advantage. It was just him being in a fight and Nate Diaz being better. And Nate Diaz hasn't fought in three years. And Diaz won that fight pretty easily. The UFC has a star in Kamzat Chemayev. He has his weight issues. He could eight pounds over. That's embarrassing. That can't happen again. He may need to move up in a weight class. Which I'll add isn't a bad thing. It isn't. Because Kamzat Chemayev fighting Israel Adedanza would be box office for the UFC. What's been the biggest complaint about Izzy over the last six to ten months? His fights are boring. He wins, but he doesn't get himself in compromising situations. He does His, his opponents don't attack him because they're afraid of him, and their fights are boring. They're just they're they're not fun to watch. He's a champion. He's a great champion. He can he can beat anybody, but it's snooze fest. We'll see what Alex Pereira can do at, at UFC 281 in New York. But that's the Whitaker fights, Canier. They're all dull. They're just boring fights. That and again, I give him all the credit in the world. All you have to do is win. Who gives a shit how you do it? But that's what the fan base. That's what the radius is telling the UFC. Chemayev will not go into a fight with, Iz with Izzy and it'd be boring. He will not be afraid of Izzy catching him on the chin. He will not be afraid of anything. 
he will charge Izzy in the first four seconds of that fight starting like he did to Kevin Holland on Saturday night. He grappled with him for four minutes until he could put him in a compromising situation and he choked him out. He will do that or he will try to knock Izzy's head off and it will be an interesting fight. To me, you have a number of ways this can go. You could book him against Izzy. Shamayev Colby Covington, who's another heel in the UFC, but he's a heel for a different reason. I think he's a heel more for his political background, for the fact that he's been a Donald Trump supporter and people hate him, which whatever, take that or leave it. But that seems to be the reason for the hatred between Colby Covington. Shamayev's just a villain because he doesn't seem to care that he was overweight. He just wants to knock everybody's head off. He is truly an evil figure. I think Usman versus Chemaev is the... You got to have Usman beat Leon Edwards in their second in their third fight, the trilogy fight, which I think he will. To me, Usman Chemaev is the is interesting. I also think Izzy versus Chemaev is interesting. Chemaev is just going to be everywhere the UFC wants him to be because he's so box office. He could win a title and then fight the other champion. I wouldn't be surprised at that either. Because I think the UFC would be all for that. They want him in as many title pitchers. They want him on the marquee as often as they possibly can. Because the dude's just special. He is. Habib became special, became interesting when he got into a feud with Conor McGregor. He became interesting when he became a champion. But prior to that, when when, uh, Habib was going through what Chamayev is now is just fighting guys. I mean, Chamayev's beaten Lee. He's beaten Kevin Holland. He beat Gilbert Burns, which is still the most impressive win on his resume. He's been inter- he's been interesting the whole time because he's given this label. He's been he's a talkative guy. He's not afraid to share his opinion. Habib was just the great fighter. He was systematically break you down until he knocked you out or he choked you out and he won the fight because he was just the best fighter on planet Earth. He didn't say anything. His English wasn't as good as it is now. His dad was this dictator from Russia, so you didn't like him because maybe he was Russian to begin with, if you were the fan base. He didn't have this Chemayev hype. He didn't. But Chemayev has the opportunity, and the UFC will do everything they can for him so that he can be the ultimate heel, so that he can be the ultimate villain in this story. I'm all for it. He needs to get his weight issues figured out when it comes to making weight and taking that serious because that's the sport. But he is an interesting, compelling character that is also one of the best fighters in the world. McGregor was interesting when he was doing all this crap and doing the dance and knocking people's head off. But the last two, three years, Conor McGregor has been nothing but talk. Because you can talk all you want, but if you don't win, then it's nothing. Then it's just empty calories. It's, it's words. You need to back up what you say. Chemayev is a star. He truly is what the UFC was hoping for. I also think it helps he's not an American. He's coming from a Scandinavian country, and he's taking the sport by storm. He's beating Kevin Holland, an American. He's beating all these guys that you want to root for, that you like. 
UFC has to take the WWE has to take the professional wrestling background, if you will, and use it in their sport. It's real fighting, but building storylines, building characters is part of how you grow this sport. Shemayev is a villain. Can Shemayev be Ric Flair? Can he be a Randy Orton? Can he go up against guys and just beat them? Legends with Shemayev and so with with Izzy and with Kamara Usman, can he be the legend killer? Can he beat some of these greatest in the sport? Maybe. Maybe that's how you draw people in. It's not a gimmick like WWE, but it's something that they need to do because they don't do enough to promote their stars. They don't do it. They don't do enough to find the next one, to find the next great star in the sport. Because some people are just going to watch the fights, but you also need a reason to buy the pay per views. This weekend we have a USC fight night. Corey Sanhagen is fighting Song Yadong. Corey, you know Sanhagen was. Very close to getting a title opportunity at Bantamweight. But his past two fights, he lost a close decision to TJ Dillashaw. To me, he won that fight. But they gave the ruling to Dillashaw. Now Dillashaw is waiting. He will be fighting against... I think he'll be fighting in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, he'll be fighting in Abu Dhabi against against the champion for the Bantamweight title. So that, that fight is happening later. So Dillashaw gets that opportunity, then Sanhagen lost to Pewter Yawn in another fight that was very close as well. So he hasn't fought in 11 months. He's talked about that, that he just needed to reset. And he still thinks he can get back to the top of the mountain and get a title opportunity. Yadong is a good fighter. Both these guys need this win to boost their resume. I think we'll see a close fight this weekend. It's a five-round main event. I'm going to go with Sanhagen because I just think he's just a structurally really good fighter. He's got a strong chin. I don't expect him to get knocked out of anything. I think we'll see this fight go the go the distance. I think we'll see a decision by the referees, and I think Sanhagen will win this fight via points. But we're on a countdown to UFC 280. You had a Mackenzie Dern fight night in there. She's a very good female fighter. She's trying to make her way up to getting a title opportunity in the near future. We got, obviously, like I just said, you got... Alamein Sterling against Dillashaw at 280. You got Ma- you got Makachev, Charles Oliveira. You got Sugar Show versus Pewter Yan. There are just some great fights coming up in Abu Dhabi. They got a fantastic card for that event. And I can't wait to watch it in a few weeks. NHL news. Before we get to two serious stories to end this podcast that are just completely irritating and dumbfounding to me. Seamus and myself the other day, discussed Tyler Mott being a player that did not have a contract. A guy who played a good role last year with the New York Rangers in the playoffs, and it was surprising that he wasn't under contract. Well, now he is. Tyler Mott signed a one-year, $1.35 million contract with the Ottawa Senators. And to me, this is a great deal for the Sens. It's a good deal for Tyler Mott. To me, he's the fourth-line center of these Senators. He can come in. He's going to play the penalty kill. He's going to be an energy guy. And you just know where he's going to be on the ice. He doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. He's just a smart hockey player. He's going to replace Chris Tierney, in my mind, who's now in Florida on a one-year contract. Mott's a a few years older than Tierney, but they play a similar position. They play a similar role. You don't bring a whole lot to the table offensively. 
but they're structurally sound, they're fast players, and they both can win a face-off when they need to. So I like the signing for Ottawa. You added players like the Brinkat. You, add, you added pieces. You're going to bring in Jake Sanderson on the back end. you got youngsters coming. you got new players on this roster that you're hoping to gel, hoping to get uh, added into and play well. Cam Talbot is now in net. Tyler Mott's just another piece that you can add to the fray, but I expect him to be a productive center iceman at his role this year and improve the penalty kill, which has been bottom 10 for Ottawa the last three or four years in the National Hockey League. Also, the Sens signed former Sen, Derek Broussard, and Michael Dalcola, former first-rounder of the New York Islanders, to professional tryouts, so they'll both go to training camp with the Senators. Derek Broussard's an interesting one because he played the best hockey of his NHL career in Ottawa. That's where he had the most value. And I thought he had a decent stint for the Senators. He was traded for Mika Zibanejad. That's a horrible trade. We can also remember that. But he had a good run in that postseason when they got to the conference final, a goal away from the Stanley Cup final. I don't think his, his run in Ottawa was as bad as people remember. He was, he was good in New York. I thought he was pretty decent. In, once he left Ottawa, it's been downhill for Derek Broussard. He was a healthy scratch the entire postseason last year for the Edmonton Oilers. Made it to the conference final, but didn't get to go, didn't get to lace them up. So I think he's past his prime. I, I think it was between a young player and Derek Broussard. I'm going with a youngster to give him an opportunity. Tyler Mott got a contract because Tyler Mott's going to make this team, and I ex- they expect him to have value. I think they're going to see what Derek Broussard looks like when it comes to fitness, when it comes to just his overall game, because to me, he's looked long in the tooth the last number of seasons. And Pierre Dorian's been here a long time. He knows Derek Broussard, so there, there is a connection there. And I'm not surprised they bring him on a PTO because they're aware of what he's brought. They know what he is as a person. I don't expect Derek Broussard to make this team because I don't think Derek Broussard is an NHL player anymore. Michael Del Cole is much younger than Derek Broussard. But I have similar thoughts. Michael Delco was a number five overall pick in the New York Islanders and is one is a massive bust for that team. He never panned out. He was a goal scorer in the OHL. He couldn't score a goal in the NHL level. He didn't play with any kind of physicality. He doesn't have any any traits that you love about a player. Sounds harsh on Michael Delco, but he's another I expect him to be playing overseas. He's not an NHL player right now. He's signed to a PTO. I know Ottawa, it's no risk because you can just cut him from his PTO. You can play him in preseason games so that your stars don't have to play that many. Now there's a rule of certain players that have, you have to play, I think, minimum three play, uh, preseason games just to fit the criteria for your veterans, just to get people to watch your games on TV and certain things like that. But I don't expect, I don't expect either of these guys to make the Sens roster, but I would favor Broussard because of his connections to the general manager and just to the team as a whole. But if he's playing for the Sens, that tells me more that the Sens aren't as close as they think they are to being competitive. There's also rumors, I guess three negative stories in the show today. Jake Vertanen is going to sign a contract with an NHL team. Sounds like it's going to be Calgary or Edmonton. I'm all for second chances, third chances, whatever you want with Jake Vertanen. I, I would not give him one. I think he's got one of the shittiest attitudes in the NHL. I think he's one of the laziest players in the NHL. I think, I think he's a bad leader. I don't think he's a good person. He was accused of sexual assault and rape 
in Russia. Didn't have enough evidence to charge him, but again, I, I don't know. Why he gets a second chance and other people don't would, will never make sense to me. And these next two stories are indicative of people getting second, third, fourth chances due to privilege and just idiocy. But Jake Vertanen signed with an NHL team. That's not a good story to me. I don't want to see him in the NHL. I thought he was a bust the second I saw him play for the World Junior team, and I haven't been wrong since. I read his character right, and for the Calgary Flames or Edmonton Oilers, good luck. Because this guy is, he's more of a problem than a solution. I'm going to put it that way. That's just my read on the player, but I don't love him. We also got news here from the National Football League. Jamal Adams, the safety for the Seattle Seahawks, is reportedly set to undergo season-ending quad surgery. So he tore his quad. He left the game. I saw him leave the game Monday night. And didn't look good, couldn't put weight on it. So he's got a torn quad, done for the season. It's a it's a difficult injury, obviously, for the Seahawks. But I I don't think it's a it's too big an injury. The t- he's a terrible guy in coverage. Barton and Brooks will get more of a look, play play more often, who look great on Monday night. He's 26, so he's still relatively young. He's had some injuries in his career. He looked like such a stud with the Jets, and it hasn't exactly panned out in Seattle. I wouldn't be surprised at the end of this season, he's cut, and they let him go, and he ends up on a new team next season, and he's playing for much less money. It's unfortunate for Jamal Adams, but I don't think this is a killer. I really don't think it's it's a killer thing for, for the Seahawks. I don't expect them to be a great team this year, and he was just another... another Part of the problem for them with that roster was Jamal Adams. So don't don't think it's a catastrophic injury for this team. Let's get to the NBA, where if you haven't been following this story, it's it's been out there. Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver on Tuesday was fined $10 million and suspended one year for basically being a shitty boss. I'm going to put it in layman's terms. Multiple cases, five to ten cases, of him using the N-word and multiple allegations of inappropriate behavior at the workplace towards women, including sexual assault. So, if I lay out what I just said, racist and sexually inappropriate behavior at the workplace. And that would result in him getting fined $10 million, which to Robert Sarver is tissue paper, and a one-year suspension, which is a joke because owners don't do anything anyway. They just go to the games, sit there, and complain about their teams. Robert Sarver should be removed as the owner of the Phoenix Suns. People ask me a lot, who's the person you hate most in sports? Because I rant about people. The people I hate most in sports are 90% of owners because 90% of owners are like this. They're white, privileged people that just think they can do whatever the hell they want and they can get away with it. And 9 out of 10 times they do. Daniel Snyder did. You look at Robert Sarver. He's getting away with it. All these owners, Jerry Jones, all these crony owners 
get to get away with this behavior. Deshaun Watson got to get got to get away with it. Didn't want to mention him, but I did. They get away with this shit, and there's no consequences. Ten million dollars is no consequence. The second the N word is uttered to me, you're done. There's no context. There's no situation where using that word is ever appropriate. Ever. There's no way you can say that word and mean anything but malice, mean anything but hatred toward the person you're talking about. It's not like going, oh, yeah, Jake's an asshole. And you say it lovingly. You say it kind of offhand. Or, oh, yeah, he's a real piece of work. Or, you know, this person, oh, yeah, what a bitch. You can, you can say that about your friend. It's not meant as a derogatory thing. There's, you can't use this and mean it anything but derogatory. Mean anything but this person is less than. It's the one word that I will not use in the dictionary. I swear with the best of them. If somebody said, Noah, you can cut out red meat for the rest of your life or cut out swearing, I'd have a hard time not swearing. I really would because I swear a ton. I shouldn't. Why not? It's a word. I can use it. Sorry, Mom. But I'd have a really hard time not swearing because it's just part of my vocabulary. That word I'll never use ever because it's racist and not to mention multiple women come out and say that you're inappropriate at the workplace and you just get away with it. LeBron James speaking on this, Chris Paul, who plays for this son of a bitch in Phoenix, the league and the players should revolt. Donald Sterling was caught on tape using the N-word, talking about black players. He was told, you got to get rid of your franchise in L.A. Now it's Steve Ballmer, and it's better off for it. But in, in society, people get canceled. People can get caught up because they do racist things like they should. That there should be no different here. If you are racist, if you are doing these things, you don't get to stay in your position. I'm sorry. Why should you get to remain employed? Why should you be able to own a sports franchise if you're a bigot? And to me, if if I hear anybody come up with the opinion, oh well, he did, he didn't mean it, or okay, he just used it once, you're part of the problem. Maybe you're the racist one, too. Maybe you're on his side. No excuse for this. Robert Sarver should not be the owner of any sports franchise. The Suns, get rid of him. Adam Silver, $10 million, one-year suspension. A joke. Spineless. You look spineless because you're about 110 pounds. So you look spineless in this, in this case as well. Why don't you do something for once? You let all the players walk over you. You sign a shitty CBA. Get rid of them. But it won't happen because he needs all the owners to sign off on it. And the rest of the owners, you know why they won't sign off on it? Likely. Because they got some skeletons in their closet. They got some racist bones in their closet. They don't, they don't want uncovered. They got a few bodies buried in the, in the backyard that they don't want people digging up. That's why. Ugh. Finish on this story. Another person I didn't like. I haven't liked this person since I started watching the NFL. Brett Favre. God, Brett Favre. Brett, Brett Favre, the great, great quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. 
Minnesota Vikings, New York GTS, Jets, Jets, Jets. And also one of the biggest hypocrites on the face of the planet is back in the news. And it's not because he wants to come back and play more football or he doesn't want his kids to play football or he's wearing Wrangler jeans or riding a John Deere, uh, John Deere tra- tractor. He is he's linked to this story. So let me give you the details. So Brett Favre is linked to this welfare scandal where the government was paying is offered to pay Brett Favre $1 million so that he could fund a university volleyball facility. This is a nonprofit organization who gave $1 million to Brett Favre. They had that on the books. But there's also the operators that pled guilty in April and owned up to sending up to $4 million to Brett Favre to fund university programs that was welfare money to people that are unemployed unemployed now i'll be the first to say there are people on welfare there are people that don't work that need these assistances that guess what they should get a job they should do something but there are people that just need this assistance because that's the situation they're that they're in and to think you're taking money brett Favre. That was supposed to go, and they on the books it says it's going to these, going to welfare, going to these different, going to these different programs, and he's taking it and funding a university volleyball facility. Well, that doesn't seem right to me. That doesn't. You're telling it's going one place. You're saying it's going another. That's a lot. That's a lie. They're asking Brett Favre about this. They want to get him to appear. He's obviously, they need to get a subpoena. They need to bring him in. He said, no, he's not going to do it. Probably plead the fifth. But this just, Brett Favre's a liar. Brett Favre has been a, been a, just a, a shitty human being for a long time. Do I have any right to say what a, sh- a good human being is? I don't know. Do I think I'm a great human? No, I don't. Let's put it that way. Do I think I'm better than Brett Favre? Yeah, I think 95% of the world is better than Brett Favre. Brett Favre just has to be involved in something. He can never be good. Taking money from the less fortunate. Brett Favre, you get all kinds of money. Get a booster to pay for the university to do it. Ever heard of NIL? Name, image, and likeness is happening all over the place. Maybe you should watch a college football game. Maybe you should do something. Look it up. Don't take the money from the less fortunate. You must have a few buddies in politics, Republican Party, that can help you out. Don't you? Come on, Brett. Do better. Brett Favre, I'll never like him. I just won't. Okay, quarterback. Hypocrite. Liar. Fraud. Brett Favre, admit to doing this. Admit to just, okay, you hate football now. Don't want your kids to play it. You couldn't give it up. What is it? Do you love the sport or do you hate the sport? Enough of Brett Favre. Enough of him. 
Thursday night football tonight, Chargers-Chiefs. Should be a great game. I got the Chiefs minus four. We'll break that down tomorrow. We'll talk about Matt Wright will join me. We'll discuss all the betting lines for the week. We'll get into college football. Should have another interesting weekend. We got Miami against Texas A&M this weekend. We got USC Fresno State, which could be a sneaky game Saturday night. Auburn against Penn State. We got some good games on the docket this weekend, and we'll talk about them all tomorrow. Until then, enjoy the game tonight. Fist to the point.